Welcome to the Heart of Leaders podcast, where each week we'll be exploring the frontiers of leadership with those who lead from the heart and put their people first, knowing that ultimately all team accomplishments are driven by people. They know that when they take care of their people, their people will take care of customers, lower costs, and drive customer loyalty and company profitability. These leaders believe that for most companies, culture trumps strategy. And culture starts with how you treat your people and how they treat each other. I'm your host, Rick Barrera, head of faculty for the Heart of Leaders training program in Denver, Colorado, where we teach extraordinary leaders how to build and lead high-performance teams who can consistently deliver exceptional results. We're back today with Heart of Leaders faculty member Kathy Sunshine on the Heart of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Rick Barrera, head of faculty for the Heart of Leaders training program. Kathy mesmerized our class of explorers when she asked them the simple question, who is your customer? They spent most of the day trying to sort it out. What seems like such a simple question turns out to not be so simple. Kathy's going to help us sort that out right now. So Kathy, welcome back. Hi, Rick. Nice to be back. Thank you, Hugh. So where did the ideas behind service structure come from? You know, um, years ago, um, there was a man named Carl Albrecht who authored a book called Service America. And I was privileged to be part of a team that was helping him institutionalize his theories. Now, his theories, many of you will remember, were the sort of the advent of the upside-down triangle. Yeah, he was probably the first big service book. He was. And he and his um, cohort you know, wrote this book, and it was really new information for most people. Again, it was probably ahead of its time, but, you know, he did training, did training for him to help him institutionalize these theories, because his theories said the customer is at the top of your organization, and the executives are at the bottom, that's the tiny point at the bottom, and he used to say, if you're not servicing the customer, your job is to be servicing someone who is. And Albrecht had, um, had a, a framework where he said, you know, the customer should drive strategy and that should identify people you hire and systems you put in place. And it really was pretty um, novel at the time. It ended up becoming a training program which, you know, fit into the human resource department and the training of a company. But if you ask, so the ideas, because I think in terms of organizational systems, the ideas came from there. But even then, at the time, I felt that the missing piece was how do you sustain that? What's the structure? And I've been, I've been talking structure, not thinking others were not, for probably 30 years. Because the question is, if you have a hierarchy and fiefdoms within your company and your organization is designed to create efficiency, which it should be. The structure was missing what I thought was a, the critical, most important center point, which was, why do you exist? So I did years of strategic business planning and we helped carve out mission and vision and values. Um, and then several years later, 
began to insert a component into all of my strategic plans, which was the concept of your identity. Now, your identity as a company is different than your mission. Your mission talks about what do you do for a living? Your vision is what you're going to look like. But the identity is why do you exist? Who buys you? And what do they buy you for? Which really gets into a deeper level of what differentiates you in your market. And that's where the ideas came from. As I was doing strategic planning, I began to develop a service structure methodology that have used with um, numerous, numerous companies since then. Well, you know, you're talking about the upside down triangle, you know, with the customer at the top and the leadership at the bottom. But, you know, this is not terribly different from the servant leadership model, the heart led leadership model, where we say that, you know, the purpose of the leader is to serve the organization, not for the organization to serve the leader. So, you know, those two things are very aligned, which is, I think, why, you know, our folks got so excited about the work that you did, because it, it puts a structure to the theory that we're talking about in the practice of leadership, of serving, you know, the leaders serving the organization versus, vice, you know, vice versa. So pretty interesting. I would suspect the heart-led leadership frame of reference also came at some point. I mean, that, that was Albrecht's philosophy and work, and it's terrific to see it still alive and well. So why do so many companies get this so wrong? You know, management theory has developed as the times develop, and the mindset that we have, which frankly is is very um, interesting and still works, but it's it was developed out of how do we function in a company? You know, we have departments, we have operating departments, research and development, marketing, human resources. We have developed our companies in a way that's logical and makes sense to us and enables us to know where we fit and how to structure. So the, quote, structure has come from the organizational structure that is hierarchical and it's our mindset because frankly it helps us understand where we fit now that the it's not that they get it so wrong it's just that they stop there and one of the most important things to remember today is that the tables have turned for the last millennia well, let's just take it for the last 100 years or the last 50 years. You know, we've grown to believe that we need to have control inside our companies so that we can service the customer. And so we've built structures that enable us to be efficient internally to serve the customer, thinking that if we do that, then, of course, we will have a business that grows. And indeed, we have. The problem is that in today's world, we don't have control. The customer does. Your company can go out of business within three weeks because of the communications technologies that we have. If you have one customer that doesn't like what you do, that becomes 1,000, it becomes 1 million, and you're out of business. So the center of gravity 
completely changed from the inside to the outside, from our belief that we have to be efficient on the inside when it really doesn't matter how much control you have on the inside because you don't have control of that decision. Your customer does. Everything has changed. The tables have turned. So you can't have chaos on the inside. So how how does service structure organize that without creating chaos? Well, what we're talking about actually is not, uh, not at all chaos and efficiency is good, but it's efficiency to what end? How are you designed internally to what end in order to enable you to service that customer? So what the service structure does is basically begins with who do you serve and not in your mind, but really looking not just at where the money's coming from, but who's buying you and what are they buying you for so that you see yourself as a reflection of them, not as them. You are doing what your customers are buying. And so you are who they perceive you to be. So we, in service structure, we first really analyze who is your customer from the standpoint of what do they perceive they are buying and what do they have in common as it relates to you. So you look at what differentiates you out of their eyes. But then the organizational structure that we must have to help us understand where we fit and how we function, what we do in service structure is deconstruct it, a little like Humpty Dumpty. We take the pieces apart and we put them back together again in an order that aligns directly to those customers. So your organization will still have departments. It will still have an org chart. It will still have a type of hierarchy, but the internal structure will be in service to itself and to the outside customer. So we reconstruct you a little bit, but you have the same, you have departments. They just service each other differently. All right. So, I've been through this a little bit with you, but our listeners haven't. So can you give us a couple of case studies or examples of how that might work? What the before and the after might look like? Well, let's see. We could use WOW, internet, cable, and phone. I suppose we could use them as an example. Um, When we, we, so we helped look at their external customers and what they're buying And originally, the external customers might be organized in yours or your companies. The listeners' companies might be organized by geographies. They might be organized by which products these customers buy. They might be organized based on um, the demographics or age groups of the customers that buy you. So you may have constructed your understanding of your customers in one way, and we would look at it a little bit differently. In WOW's um, experience, the most important piece was when we got to the inside. And we looked at who is it that primarily services their external cable person. So um, if we looked at a cable customer one way, then we look at who serves them. Who's the primary service deliverer? And with WOW, there was, a re- there was real strong um, confusion as to who's really on top. Who is it that's responsible? Is it the call center that the customer calls and has contact with? Or is it the field area? 
the guys and women who go out to the cable customer and actually put cable in. Or differently, is it salespeople? Whoever got you the, whoever you responded to in the advertisement that made you a cable company. So what WOW did was what we do is force rank the departments so that we know who really is the primary service deliverer to that customer. They went back and forth. Is it the person who calls or is it the field? Um, And we ended up looking at how the field and the call center coordinate their work for that customer. So it changed the way the delivery of service went to that customer, made it less confusing. So who ultimately was, so who was on top in that scenario? The field person was on top. Now, if you think of it like that, because the field guy or woman was the one that actually touched, was the one that actually was delivering services and the customer perceived them to be the company. So when we look, when we look at this again through the eyes of the customer, we say, who does the customer think is going to represent you? And in this case, it was the field people. And it, what, what we're talking about now is the division that serviced the, the customer. So it was the field. In that case, then the call center's job was to service the field people. The call center function was to take calls in such a way that they could deliver the right information to the field correctly. So we had to hire people in the call center that were consultative, that were accurate, that could accurately let the person in the, the, the customer know what time the field person would be there. So we actually hire and train differently based on who the primary service deliverer is. And in this case, it was the field. So the call center was actually in service to the field and needed to do what the field needed them to do. So is sales then serving the field or is sales serving the call center? Sales is serving the entire organization. Sales like marketing was bringing the customers in and there was a sales, there was a call center for sales. So the sales department was a type of call center. The, the example that I gave you was in the service area of the call, the call center, but the sales function itself was servicing the entire organization. By bringing customers in, it's sort of a feeder system. By connecting with the customer, um, communicating with the customer um, in a way that, that the company was differentiated. The sales function was servicing the whole of the organization by bringing customers to it. Once they were in, and if you needed service, the call center and the field were there to serve you. But the sales division, the sales department was really the feeder system for the whole company. Cool. It can get complex. With another example, a global elevator company. The company was organized based on its countries. And they had basically CEOs in each country. And there was a great deal of infighting. Well, what the service structure did was reframe from the customer standpoint 
where these geographic locations actually fit in the organization. And right. it shifted them from being basically their own fiefdoms, servicing their customers in their areas with their power bases, to becoming a distribution system for the functioning of the elevator company, servicing those who are servicing the customers. It made the company more efficient. It made the company more effective. And the customers then really could resonate with the products they were getting, not just the companies that were in power. The customer became the one in power and not the CEO of the internal nation. Right. So if I'm an international company, I, I, I don't want to deal with 20 different elevator companies. I want to deal with one that's going to serve my needs, and I'm just going to have service centers in different locations. Right. So they distribute it. But the key then was the quality of the services that they were getting improved dramatically. So how do our listeners know where to start with this process? Well, if you're managing, owning a company, you really begin by back to what you began with, Rick, is the question, you know, you can ask the question, who is my customer? But I would go deeper to ask who's buying me and what are they buying me for? And it really goes back to what we've, for years thought was the marketing department because in service structure, there is no marketing department. There's some analysis that can be done by people, but this concept of customer segmentation and the customer psychographic analysis and demographics, your deep understanding of who that customer is, is at the heart of your strategy. So, uh, you know, I highly recommend people go back out to the outside and said, scratch their head and say, who's been buying what I have? And look over the last three years, but then look at what, what has changed. Yeah. So we've got to look wide open to what have the subtle changes and trends be, not just in who buys me, but what they think they're buying. And I highly recommend starting with focus groups. And I mean comprehensive focus groups to uncover the perceptions and needs of the people that buy you so that you see yourself as a reflection of them rather than telling them what you sell. Unless you're Microsoft or Apple where you're telling them something they don't yet know. And that makes up 99% of most of our companies. Yeah. You need to be you need to be knowing them more than you know yourself and humbled. So where you can get in trouble is if you're holding on to what you believe is your critical competency without suspending it for a moment to say I wonder what they're going to tell me. So it's suspending your assumptions, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Clayton Christensen asked the question in his book, you know, what's the job your product is being hired to do? Right. Right. But, right. Um, uh-huh. And and that's Absolutely. basically what you're saying is, you know, so, you know, what do they really want from us versus what we think we're providing or, or selling? And it should help you understand your core competency. 
um, you know, Sun Microsystems' core competency was the product that it designed. It was its inventiveness. It was its research and development arm. But if it couldn't let go of being an R&D brilliant and move into an operational framework to deliver products and be, again, a distribution center, right? then like the old play, Death of a Salesman, like Willie Loman, you know, it's it, the, the failure is in its pride. Right. And if companies cannot release their pride in a way to be vulnerable and open to the transformation going on, they will slowly, slowly, slowly wither away. I've seen it too many times. So this is transformation time. It's sort of revolutionary that you can't see yourself through the same lenses that you've been looking. Right. So, yeah, Einstein's quote of you can't solve the problem with the kind of thinking that created it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and this is how you do it. Yeah, You do it. I mean, the question, we know the what, the question is how, and the how comes from the customer, not from you. That's great. If that makes the, sense. Yeah. The how comes from the customer, not from you. I like that. So what, what final advice would you like to leave our listeners with today? You know, I think I said it. The tables have turned. Um, if you think you're in control, think again, your customer's in control. So it isn't just knowing your customer. It's actually responding, being at the behest of your customer. So step number one is who are they? Step number two is what am I giving them that they need, that they're telling me they need? Third is what's happening for them? What are they going to look like my customers in a year? And then threading that needle to say, how do we design ourselves to do it? And now that sounds ominous and scary, but it's really just shuffling the deck and looking at things differently. So, you know, my advice to people is realize that your awareness needs to be heightened with, in combination with your market. And now it sounds complex, but it's not all that hard. After you get into it, it, it begins to make sense. And your employees will understand the logic of it. So people get on board pretty quickly. Yeah. That's, that's my advice. <laughs> well, that's fabulous. And again, Kathy, appreciate you, know, you being a faculty member at the Heart of Leaders. You were one of the big hits this year as people tried to figure out who their customers were and get, really got into that discussion. It's, it's, it's fascinating that such a simple and basic question can be so profound, but that's that's why we call it, you know, call them explorers. And we're all on uh, exploring what it takes to become a heart-led leader and how do we serve others. And uh, you're taking that to the organizational extent. So thanks, Kathy, for joining us and sharing your wisdom. Rick, I'm really honoring the Heart of Leaders program. I think it's tremendous what you're bringing to real on-the-ground leaders. And uh, privilege to be part of it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Kathy. This is Rick Barrera, and I'd like to invite you to join us for our Heart of Leaders training program in Denver, Colorado. You'll be in a small class of just 30 or so participants hanging out with and learning from our world-class faculty. If you're enjoying the Heart of Leaders podcast, you'll love the Heart of Leaders training program. 
Come and get your questions answered, meet the coolest people in business today, and learn how to get the extraordinary business results we've been talking about on this podcast. Call us today at 858-248-3162 or visit our website at heartofleaderspodcast.com. We believe that Heart of Leaders is a movement started by boomers, accelerated by Gen Xers, and demanded by millennials. To learn more, find us online at heartofleaderspodcast.com, where we blog, post articles, and book reviews, and respond to your questions. We invite you to join the conversation.